Go ahead, Welcome Sydney. to the East Career Podcast, brought to you from the East Careers and Trauma Committee. I am Stephanie Montgomery from the Medical University of South Carolina. In this session, we are pleased to have Dr. Don Jenkins here with us to discuss acute care surgery and a military career. Dr. Jenkins is the Director of Trauma in the Division of Trauma, Critical Care, and General Surgery at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He is also Assistant Professor of Surgery at the Uniformed Services University in Bethesda, Maryland. He is well known as a renowned leader in military surgery. Dr. Jenkins has also been an active member of EAST, serving as a past president of our organization. Now let's get started. Dr. Jenkins, why did you decide to pursue a military career? When uh, I was a uh, uh, young boy growing up, uh, it was in an era when America's uh, greatest generation uh, was actively and gainfully employed uh, in the community, and uh, everyone on the block knew that uh, Mr. Turley down the street uh, had uh, been at Guadalcanal and he would uh, tell us stories about this uh, thing. Every one of my uh, relatives uh, had uh, served their time in uh, the military. And my older brother had a very unpopular time uh, for being in the military in this country at the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, graduated high school and without a draft uh, put his hand in the air and uh, volunteered to join the Air Force. And uh, so there's a lot of family and societal sort of norming uh, there, and I always felt that uh, being able to pay back, uh, you know, my my country, as those who had come before me uh, had done, well, it was a very noble uh, thing to do. And that uh, if I was going to go into medicine, what better patient population to care for than, uh, you know, the Mr. Turleys of the world, uh, who had suffered uh, injury in uh, in combat. So do you think someone should sign up for military service in medical school or during residency? I uh, personally uh, think that uh, uh, people can get the benefit of uh, the, the, the military's uh, experience and training uh, at either one of those levels. I think that uh, the further along in your training uh, that you are when you sign up, the more eyes wide open uh, you have it. And uh, one of the potential risks of signing up uh, for a military-like career uh, earlier in your educational process is that uh, one of the first things that the military tells you is that the needs of the service come first. And I can recall a couple of uh, uh, general surgery uh, residents uh, who really had their hearts set on uh, subspecialty general sur subspecialty surgical training uh, that uh, the Air Force or the Army didn't need. They didn't need more vascular surgeons at the time, and uh, so some of those folks uh, changed gears and uh, went into transplant or, or, or something else. Uh, so there's always that uh, that concern that uh, you have to be willing uh, to accept that uh, if you're going to serve, you're going to serve uh, and know that the needs of the military come before your own. The vast majority of people who uh, take this on, uh, really, they, they, if they were given lemonade, they're making lemonade uh, out of those lemons. 
uh, and uh, make the most out of that uh, out of that career. It's it's hard to find somebody who was disappointed who would tell you, I given the choice, I wouldn't do it again. So if you have a commitment after medical school, should you train in a civilian or military program, and is it even possible to train in a civilian program? So. Uh, uh, yes, again, the uh, needs of the military come first. Uh, if you owe uh, them uh, some time, they are not going to let uh, military residency positions go unfilled uh, for the most part. There are rare exceptions uh, to that, uh, but uh, you may find yourself in a military uh, training program. And I graduated uh, from my residency program with uh, one such individual who in his first year was uh, quite disgruntled and uh, by the end couldn't couldn't not only have been happier but uh, went away and did a, a fellowship and came back uh, you know to, to us and then uh, upon separating from the service joined the reserve so if you have a military commitment after residency do you think it limits your potential to do a fellowship there is the potential uh, that uh, fellowships can be limited, again, based upon the needs of the service, or that you may become fellowship trained and then uh, be assigned to a practice where your skill set uh, may not necessarily be able to be used. Uh, so that uh, the Department of Defense has one level one trauma center in the continental United States, and if that's what uh, you want to do, there's only one place for you to go. Uh, if they don't have a need for you in that location, then you'll end up somewhere else uh, doing uh, acute care surgery. And if you want to practice trauma or surgical critical care, you may need to uh, do that uh, on the local economy. That has been the practice uh, for the past 30 years. Uh, it's no uh, it's no different today than it has been uh, over those 30 years. And like I say, this is where, uh, given the circumstances, you can make this thing work. Typically what happens in those scenarios is uh, those uh, folks become so enamored with the local program uh, that they uh, work with that they end up just becoming citizens of that uh, of that community uh, for the for the rest of their life and serve in that uh, local community hospital when they're done with their time in the service. And did you think that being in the military influenced your choice of programs for your first job? Well, um, yes, uh, it, it, it did. Um, certainly at, the, at that time, uh, the Department of Defense had two level one trauma centers, both of which were in San Antonio. Uh, and uh, that was uh, part of my choice uh, to be able to do that. In fact, I was uh, influenced going into uh, trauma care uh, by uh, Dr. Rich Retker. He's an East member, and he was the first uh, surgeon that the Air Force uh, sent for training uh, as a, uh, a, a surgical intensivist, you know, to, to become a, a fellowship-trained uh, trauma surgeon. And uh, I was an intern uh, on this uh, brand-new faculty member's service at the very end of my internship, and I just couldn't get over uh, the the breadth of his practice, uh, how uh, you know the, the the excitement affiliated uh, with taking uh, you know pa patients who are absolutely dying before your eyes and uh, uh, bringing them uh, you know back from the brink. Uh, and uh, Rich was that guy. I'm, I'm a trauma surgeon today because of Rich Retker. 
So in your opinion, has being in the military been beneficial to your acute care surgery experience and career, and if so, how? So, yeah, the time uh, spent in the military in terms of an overall uh, career uh, has been uh, quite beneficial. I have uh, been afforded uh, some opportunities that not everyone has had uh, by mere happenstance. Uh, on 9-11, I just happened to be the surgeon carrying the pager uh, for uh, national or international uh, response and uh, went to the war from there. So setting up the first surgical hospital in the war, setting up the first casualty receiving hospital in the war, uh, really had some uh, tremendous career benefits to it uh, because we hadn't done this in uh, uh, more than a decade. And things had so drastically changed within the military healthcare system in terms of casualty care support and mobile surgery. Uh, people, I, I think, take for granted uh, today after, you know, 13 years of uh, ongoing uh, uh, hostilities uh, that you know how things work in, in in the military. What people don't really maybe take into account is that when we deployed in September of 2011, I'm sorry, <laughs> 2001, uh, we went to the war with a basically untested concept. The, the, the trials had been done within a single organization, but the remainder of the Air Force. Uh, and the remainder of the Army had not broadly spread this across the services in terms of how things had so drastically changed. And so from the very beginning, had a chance to influence that, find the errors uh, in the beta test and fix it as we were going along. Uh, repeat same when uh, in 2004 the Air Force sets up a huge hospital that they hadn't you know, brought out of mothballs since the Vietnam War and happened to be the guy who's going to be the lead surgeon uh, for, for that group. And then part of the way through that rotation, getting a call uh, from John Holcomb and the Army Surgeon General to say, hey, we want to do something that the, that the military has never done before. We want to set up a trauma system. Would you give up what you're doing with the Air Force in uh, Balad and uh, go down to Baghdad and work for the Army and set up a trauma system? I mean, those are those are three major events that uh, how those stars align, I, I can't tell you. Um, but uh, we certainly have taken advantage of the opportunity, fixed things where they needed to be fixed, and I think most importantly, raised up a whole new generation of trauma surgeons and shown them how to make change, how to uh, take quality initiatives that we would use in our civilian centers and put them into the combat zone uh, so that in every single rotation of surgeons, uh, there are people there who have that skill set, who have that talent, uh, who have that uh, uh, wherewithal uh, to be able to continue to make improvements. We, we haven't been static in the medical care uh, uh, rendered uh, since the, the, the uh, development of that uh, trauma system in the combat zone late 2004, early 2005. Do you have any um, thoughts or advice for those people who are transitioning to a civilian practice after they've had a military career? 
Yes, so, so my advice uh, to, uh, to folks coming out of the military and going into uh, civilian practice is uh, to it, it, take your time. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities out there and that uh, they have a tremendous amount of experience uh, garnered in short deployments uh, than other folks uh, could accrue in years in terms of caring for, uh, uh, caring for the injured. They also go about this now with a, a, a maybe a renewed sense of what uh, performance improvement and quality is about uh, because of uh, the constant nature uh, of that during their uh, time in, in the military. Uh, they are a valuable uh, uh, commodity uh, with a, a, a vast uh, um, experience in things that uh, people, again, in other walks of life. The very first patient I cared for during the deployment uh, back in t uh, September of 2001 uh, was a patient who is a young Special Forces uh, soldier, uh, had a uh, necrotic uh, gallbladder and a, and a ruptured spleen from acute hypersplenism that uh, I diagnosed as having salmonella uh, and that uh, you know treated him appropriately and uh, sent him on in the war. That's not something that you're going to get to uh, see in the uh, uh, run-of-the-mill level one uh, uh, trauma center. Uh, so acute care surgery uh, goes along with the trauma care uh, rendered in those uh, in those combat settings as as well. So these guys have a lot of experience that can be that can be leveraged. They they really bring a high value uh, into uh, any trauma center that they that they come into. Uh, and again, I can't say enough about the quality part of this uh, that they bring with them that is now inherent uh, in their day to day practice. And do you have any advice for um, our listeners that may be considering acute care surgery and a military career? Uh, yes, I think that uh, it is uh, honestly it's, it's it's the perfect marriage. There's again no better patient population to care for, no better dual uh, profession that I could uh, uh, come up with in terms of being a uh, military officer and uh, a physician and surgeon. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, influence uh, the, the lives of one by one by one at the at the surgical uh, uh, bedside in, in the operating room, or at the scores to thousands uh, being in a position running a trauma system. Uh, that uh, there are tremendous opportunities, and there are some new and exciting things afoot. Uh, the Department of Defense is starting to realize that if they want to retain uh, talented, bright, and well-trained uh, people, that they are going to have to think and act differently. Uh, they are starting to uh, allow active duty members to serve their active duty completely in civilian trauma centers, except for periods of time when they would need to be deployed. Able to maintain that skill set in a very busy, urban, uh, acute care surgery and trauma practice, uh, but then to be able to be pulled out uh, to go on a deployment and provide that same level of care uh, in the combat zone or, or, or overseas. Uh, I think that there will be a look, uh, a, a hard look, at uh, civilian surgeons being able to provide care in a military combat environment, 
the, the, the best example of that is the program uh, that the AAST and the American College of Surgeons set up uh, for the Visiting Surgeons Program, Visiting Vascular Surgeons Program, Visiting Neurosurgeons Program at Longstuhl, uh, where they proved that uh, civilians with no military training whatsoever could go into that military environment and provide top-notch care to injured combatants. And I think that uh, there likely will be a new day uh, where citizens, you know, citizen surgeons uh, may be able to lend their expertise as many wanted to do and volunteered to do uh, back in the 2001 time frame. There just was no mechanism to allow for it. And I think that that is a potential future option uh, that really isn't that far off. And one final question. Um, what would you change, if anything, about your career so far? Um, you know, my time in the uh, in, in the military was uh, uh, again a lot of it by by happenstance. Uh, general P. K. Carlton, a, f a retired Surgeon General of the United States Air Force, basically sent me a nice little handwritten note uh, after we had uh, published the first work on how the trauma system had changed things in in combat. And in that very brief uh, handwritten note, uh, he said, basically, you son of a gun, I spent my entire career trying to position myself to do exactly the things, to be in the places where you were, uh, so that I could, you know, have this influence, and you were there, and you and you got an opportunity to participate in, in, in all of them. So, long way around to say... I don't have a regret. I don't have a regret in anything that that, that I did. Uh, I'm very happy that I went to the military medical school in Bethesda because I'll tell you, when I set foot on Sierra Island uh, on September 26th of 2001, I was immediately uh, the senior uh, physician uh, on the on that base. I was the vice commander of the base for about two days uh, because I was a ranking lieutenant colonel. Uh, and uh, the next morning when I, uh, I woke up, realized that I was also now uh, the uh, uh, public health officer uh, in charge of uh, food and water safety. Uh, and uh, if we were going to be successful, it was going to be because uh, we did that job correctly and uh, we didn't have a big outbreak of uh, dysentery uh, and have to send people home from the war or, or take them out of the war in the, in the beginning. Uh, so the background there uh, was, uh, was, was, was really important. And that's where I'll come back around full, full circle to one of the earlier questions you asked me uh, was that, you know, when should people get involved in this military thing if they're going to get involved in it? My opinion is, if you're going to go to do this thing, be in it from for all of it, and uh, get a good military education, get a good military medical education, uh, which involves a, a, a lot of public health uh, things that uh, the typical surgeon trained in acute care surgery program in this country today just wouldn't have. It was a fourth year uh, um, uh, infectious diseases course uh, that, I, that I took specifically harping in on tropical diseases uh, when I was a medical student that caused me to remember uh, that, uh, that this uh, Special Forces soldier likely had salmonella and to treat him for that. 
I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known how to do the water safety and the food safety uh, things if I hadn't uh, been trained uh, as a true military medical officer. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that uh, in terms of carrying that over. I can tell you today when I sit in the boardroom at our hospital practice uh, committee, uh, I'm as equally likely to know uh, you know things about Ebola and dengue as the infectious disease uh, uh, member there, you know, representing the team. And uh, that comes from that that excellent uh, military medical training, not only the surgical portion. Well, on behalf of the East Careers and Trauma Committee, I would like to thank you, Dr. Jenkins, for taking time to speak with us today. It was wonderfully informative. And I am, again, Stephanie Montgomery, and I hope you enjoyed the program. When you find a moment of time, please visit the EAST website at www.east.org for more EAST career podcasts and other valuable information. Thank you very much. So, Don, everything happened in your career by happenstance, but somehow I think they had other options than you, but they chose you. Um, How do you keep yourself in that position? Yep, so... Um, you know, one of those things I think it well, it comes from what I what I call a service mentality. Uh, and uh, you know, when the early on in my time here, and I, I, I said this at, you know when I was in San Antonio as well, uh, I would say, listen, you know, there's things that need to be done in the organization, and you know, it starts with uh, somebody. Filling the, you know, filling the coffee pot and taking out the garbage, to you know, putting suture in some guy's, uh, you know, aorta, uh, and so in terms of the organization, how we're built, uh, you know, all these things need to be done at, at the end of the day, and I actually have quite a broad skill set. I can strip and wax and buff a floor because I learned how to do that in high school working at the IGA. <laughs> Now, if that's what you want me to do, and that's how you want me to spend my time, then I'll do that. Because that's the only one of the only things I'm in charge of in my life is the garbage. I take out the garbage, and there's nobody tells me when to do it. Nobody tells me when not to do it. Uh, it's, my, it's, my, it's my that's my thing. I, I'm, that's the only thing I can lay claim to. I'm fully in charge of uh, that and snow removal. Now, uh, <laughs> I added that one uh, since we moved up here. But what I say to people is, is that is that you know there's no job that I'm unwilling to do. Uh, I can remember being up at Fort Hood uh, as a third-year resident working with Steve Flaherty, who was a brand-new attending a surgeon even before he went to his trauma fellowship. And uh, we're taking care of a security forces officer uh, who had his gun taken from him in a, in a routine traffic stop and shot through the head of the pancreas. And uh, this this poor guy was uh, he was getting well cared for and but had a, had a devastating injury and I go to the bedside and the guy he's you know he's 22 years old he hasn't been bathed by the nursing team and we're post op day six from the from the initial injury and he's feeling terrible he wants to get a shower I go to ask the guys and they're like well we were going to get to it a little bit later da 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 and I I went in the room. Put the guy in the shower and I washed him and dried him off. And about four minutes into this, there were fourteen people in that room with washcloths and towels and the whole you know shebang. Is it if I'm not willing to do it, why would they be willing to do it? If I can't set that example, why you know? So so when we went on nine eleven to New York City uh, to McGuire Air Force Base, uh, 
we realized when we got there, you know, morning of the 12th, everybody was dead. There was going to be nothing for us to do. So we had a choice. We could all hang around this barracks until they sent us home, or we could do what I said, let's get her retrained. No one knows this new system. Let's get all these guys together in a room. We're going to do a trauma refresher because dollars that don't us, the president's going to send us somewhere to kick somebody's ass, and we're probably going to go from here. And so we oriented everybody, educated everybody, put on a mini trauma course, put on a mini you know, deployment course. Uh, when it came time to go, we had to pack up all of this gear, and it was a long day. And people wanted to go to get something to eat, and they were done. But the job wasn't done, and we were going to leave that night. And they all got on the bus, and as a lone individual, I continued to put boxes and pile boxes onto this. And they waited about five minutes to see if I was going to stop doing it, and then they all got off the bus. And they came back, and they finished the job. And uh, so I think that some combination of service above self and leading by example is is that that's how you that's how you get to be value added to an organization. Uh, I was on call Saturday doing trauma call. Um, spent you know the the routine thirty hours in the building. Come noontime on Sunday, uh, supposed to be able to go home, but I'm the backup surgeon. And uh, there's a couple of patients who we believe would benefit from rib fracture fixation. And looking at the elective calendar for the next three days, there was no way they were going to get their ribs fixed. And there was no way that they should be laying there in agony. I stayed here till, till 1030 at night facilitating rib fracture fixation uh, in, those, uh, in those patients so that we could get them the care that they needed and get them out of the hospital uh, in a timely fashion. And uh, that was me and the division chair uh, here here doing that. I, I can't you know I, I can't think of a better example of uh, those patients needed it. It was going to be at personal expense to me. Awake for 36 out of the 39 hours that I was in the building over that uh, day and a half period of time. But by God, we were going to take care of those patients and set the example. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking an hour out of your time. Um,